a survey from a decade or so ago, uh, among those who self-identified as being devout Christians, their own self-designation, 50% of men classified themselves as also addicted to pornography. So devout Christians and addicted to pornography. Not that they had ever seen it, not that they had ever intentionally accessed it, but they were currently addicted. Um, and I'm hesitant to draw conclusions as to what exactly that means for uh, New Testament Christians, what exactly that means for the men in this room, uh, except to say this. We can't pretend like that this isn't a problem. We can't pretend like this isn't something that's happening in the church. Pornography, if you have your uh, little outline, we did this in lieu of uh, PowerPoint tonight. I think this might be more helpful in some ways. Pornography uh, comes from two Greek words. Porne, uh, which is uh, the word for prostitution or harlotry, uh, a prostitute, and graph graphene or graphos, which is to write. And so it's writing, uh, drawing uh, about prostitution or the activities of prostitutes. Uh, so let that sink in for a second. We're not talking about something beautiful or artistic. We're talking about the uh, exploitation of women for financial gain. Uh, why do commercials have scantily clad women? Um, to empower those women? Uh, of course not. Uh, it's in order to sell something. It appeals to the flesh. And that specific word, pornography, uh, is not used in the New Testament, but uh, the root word, porne, is used at least 12 times in the New Testament, perhaps most memorably in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 15. Uh, so let's read 15 through 20 together, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? There's our word. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, perhaps even more importantly, the related words porneia or porneo, which mean illicit sexual activity, immorality, or fornication. And those are two wide, encompassing terms that would include any sexual activity outside of marriage occur at least 35 times in the New Testament, including there in verse 18 where we're instructed to flee sexual immorality. We flee this immorality, uh, any sexual activity outside of the constraints of marriage, uh, which brings us back to the idea of pornography. Pornography is not something new. It's been around for centuries. Uh, it went mainstream shortly after the invention of the printing press. Uh, and famously, the printing press was first used for what? Printing, printing the Bible, right? And yet, within, uh, within a year, it was also used to print illicit materials about other things. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? How so often the devil takes things that can be used for good and turns them to use them for evil. It's not a new problem, but it's certainly a dangerous and a common one. And despite what society tells us, 
There is nothing beautiful or pure or godly or even real about it. This falsified, cheapened view of the sexual relationship can have devastating consequences on the relationship between a husband and a wife, if you're married, or even if you ever intend to be married. Your relationship with non-romantic members of both the same and opposite sex. Your relationship with your children, your job, your mental health. But most importantly, your relationship with God. And most, if not all, Christian men who are involved in this, uh, this sin of pornography know all about that. They know those consequences. And yet still, they're involved in it. Uh, we're going to explore why tonight. Um, and I'm not, I'm not uh, suggesting that we're going to be able to cover everything tonight. In fact, I'm suggesting just the opposite. At the end of class, uh, I want to offer something to all of us as men that might be helpful uh, as we think about helping one another with this particular temptation. Psalm 101 and verse 3 that you see there on your handout says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I think that is a great motto for today's day and age where so many wicked things are placed before our eyes by others. Specifically, when we think about lust and pornography or movies or shows that glorify or even explicitly show sexual acts, those things have no place in the mind or the life of a Christian. All of those things turn our hearts away from God. But it's not enough for us to just say that. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. How do we achieve this purity? Well, the wisdom literature deals with sexuality more than any other part of the Bible. Both the dangers of fulfilling sexual needs and wants in an ungodly way and the rewards of fulfilling those things in a godly way. That this is something that God uh, put in us, that God designed, that was always there from the very beginning of the creation of man and woman. And it's something that He intends for to be a blessing to us, to be, to be pleasurable and profitable. Something that draws us into deeper intimacy with our spouse and gives us a glimpse of what uh, our relationship with God can be like. And so let's turn to the wisdom literature tonight, not exclusively to the wisdom literature, but let's start in Job 31, Job 31. Job 31 and verse 1. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Uh, maybe you have a, a footnote in your margin, as I do in the New King James. Look intently upon or gaze upon a young woman. He's not saying that I see a young woman or I look at a young woman or any time that there's a young woman that walks past, I avert my eyes. What he's saying is to look intently upon, to gaze upon a young woman. Why do you think he says young woman? Why hadn't he made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon an old woman? Typically, a young woman's going to be more appealing, I assume. Because there is an appeal there with the young woman. And certainly he has in mind uh, something of a sexual nature here. Uh, if we drop down to verse 9, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, uh, that's... Uh, Keeping Tom sort of terminology, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of creepy. I'm lurking at my neighbor's door so I can get a, 
a glimpse of his wife or his daughter? Then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. That's pretty explicit, y'all. Um, he says, if I have, we just say, lusted after another, then what does he say the punishment should be with his own wife? Let's see how comfortable we are with one another here. He says, let my wife grind for another. What does that mean? Have sex with, right? Grinding. And let others bow down over her. That's explicit. And he's saying, uh, elsewhere in Proverbs it talks about drinking from your own cistern. He's saying, if I've done this to someone else, the eye for an eye in this situation is someone else does this with my wife. And when we think about it in those terms, all of a sudden, um, it's not so innocent. It's not so um, victimless. But it's not enough for us to just feel bad if we've engaged ourselves in these dangers. Uh, he says in verse 12, For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. Job understood the danger. He recognized the consequences. And he established his commitment to keep from it. And those are the same things that we should do. Understand the danger, recognize the consequences, and establish our commitment to keep from it. We can commit to this. And, and the cycle that so many who are involved in pornography have gotten into is, well, I commit to it, I'm not going to do it again, then I do it again and I feel bad, and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to not do it again. Um, and obviously when we're talking about pornography, usually that's associated with masturbation and of some kind. Uh, it's not enough for us to understand and recognize and just commit. What tools are we going to put in place to make sure that um, we overcome this temptation in the future? Well, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 7. You would? Proverbs chapter 7. I know I'm going quickly. Uh, that's intentional, and that's so that we might have some time to discuss. But I am not opposed to stopping at any point in this and if somebody has a comment or a question and we divert and have discussion in the middle of the lecture, that's fine. I'm okay with that too, uh, but I'm not going to stop and ask you know, for your questions and comments as we go along. Just blurt it out, raise your hand, whatever, and we'll stop and discuss in more detail. Um, but I really want to save a little bit of time at the end if we can for discussing some of the ways that we're going to overcome these things. The timeless nature of the biblical text is such that Solomon pins some words in Proverbs chapter 7. And these words are to a foolish young man about an adulterous harlot. And yet the same principles of seduction that are used on him uh, are the same, same basic ideas that we find with this uh, temptation of pornography. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, uh, a young man devoid of understanding. Does somebody have a different translation for devoid of understanding? 
I love that translation. That, that's ESV, right? He's lacking sense. He's devoid of understanding. Lacking sense. Common sense. Sense. He's lacking sense, devoid of understanding. And he knows this because, verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, does he ascribe motives here of intentionality? Does he say that this young man did this on purpose? He doesn't say one way or the other, right? He says that he took this way, but he doesn't say whether he's taking it in order to find this woman or see this woman if he's gone down that path. That might be the case. But this idea of lacking sense, to me, indicates perhaps that this was something fairly innocent in some ways. The problem is that he's not taken any measures to protect himself. There is a lack of godly wisdom and awareness. And sometimes we allow ourselves to be exposed by not guarding ourselves against temptation. We're not fleeing fornication. We're not pursuing it, but we're not fleeing it either. And so we put ourselves in positions to fail. Not having the wisdom of God at the ready to confront potential problems. And so we keep reading verse 10. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Um, it doesn't say explicitly what this attire was, uh, but he was able to recognize that she was a harlot, that she was a prostitute. She was dressed like that, and he sees that. Um, last month, uh, Randy um, taught on lust. We remember Matthew 5.28, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her. Um, again, this is the idea from back there in Job intently looking, gazing at, right? It describes a person who is turning his thoughts towards something rather than away from it. Uh, my dad used to always say, uh, you know, a glance becomes a look, and a look becomes a stare, and a stare becomes a thought, and a thought becomes sinful. Um, and I think a lot of times that's the progression that we see with something like this. And that's where the sin takes place, when we turn our thoughts and our minds and our hearts toward uh, this temptation. And it's not something that happens um, accidentally. We might not have set out to do it, but the bait is placed before us and we choose to turn toward it rather than away from it. Um, I was talking to somebody, in fact, just earlier today. I said, you're coming to the men's class tonight. And they're like, ah, I'm not sure if I am or not. And I said, well, why not? I'm teaching. And uh, they said, well, you know, I just... Uh, isn't it just like the same thing we talked about last month? Well, lust is one big factor. But at the same time, pornography is both. A specific application of lust, a specific type of lust, but it's broader also than just lust. Was lust the only issue that this young man had? No. He had other issues as well. And I think if we're struggling with this particular temptation, there are other things that come about uh, along with it as well. And, and sometimes we've not done a good job because we say things like, well, just stop. Just stop lusting. Um, and yet that doesn't equip anybody with the tools to overcome the temptation. If we take the wisdom of Solomon and see, well, these are the things that are involved in this, then instead of just one thing that we're attacking, I'm going to attack lust. We're able to attack all these other things as well, and it gives us a better chance of overcoming 
what the devil has placed before us. So it's not just lust, and it's not just a lack of godly wisdom. There's some other things that are involved with pornography specifically in our society that I want us to point out and then talk about some ways to overcome it. Uh, Verse 11, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face, a shameless face, maybe your translation says. She said to him, and we'll get into that here in just a second. I mean, that's in your face, isn't it? And when it comes to the kinds of temptations that we face, um, a lot of times that's the case as well. There is aggressive exposure in our society. Every streaming service has some sort of pornography associated with it. If you want to find it, you can. Uh, Almost every movie, uh, certainly those with certain ratings, are going to have some sort of nudity in them. And if not full nudity, uh, certainly things that would still be a temptation to us. The algorithms that are on social media aggressively expose us as men to things that keep us engaged. And what they figured out is one of the things that keeps men engaged as much or more than anything else uh, are scantily clad women of different kinds. And that's frustrating, um, and that's not fair. Um, the example that I've used in times past is uh, uh, on, on uh, Instagram, I followed this uh, golfing trick shot artist, and she happens to be female. And you know what um, the experience floor feature on Instagram had for the next couple of weeks where I just, I I can't go over there for a while, is it was scantily clad golfers. Because I had followed this one account with someone who's generally dressed very modestly, and yet she does golf trick shots, but because she's female and golfer, the algorithms are going to expose me to this, trying to get me to succumb to it. In our society, we have to be careful because the exposure is so aggressive, especially to the young. This was a young man, we're told back there in verse 7. 90%, 9 out of 10 boys, um, and these are statistics from uh, the, the 20 teens, were exposed to pornography before the age of 18. Uh, the fo- first exposure to pornography on, among men is on average at age 12. of boys under 18 have seen uh, same-sex intercourse online, um, homosexual pornography. 70% of boys under 18. Uh, Even worse sometimes is how. In many cases, it is as innocent as hearing something that was said on TV or something a friend said, and these children are not comfortable going to their parents to ask about it, and so they Google it on their phone or their computer, and they see exactly what they Googled. And maybe we say, not my kid. You know, that's not going to happen. I pray that's not the case. But what about the kids who are friends with your kids? What about the text messages that he or she receives from others? Um, my kids don't, don't have that kind of capability yet. Now, they go to a friend's house. A lot of times they do. Uh, and so I can only speak really for myself and those I have talked to on this front. I lived a very sheltered life in West Texas. 
Uh, Stephanie jokes about that all the time. She'll talk about some trend from when we were in high school and say, did y'all have that out there? Uh, well, there's some truth to the jest uh, that I did live a sheltered life, um, went to a small school, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, and I was a late bloomer in terms of my sexuality. I wasn't even really interested in girls till the eighth grade. Um, and my first exposure to full nudity uh, was in Yahoo Instant Messenger, um, taking you back a little ways. I got a friend request from uh, Megan 2541 or whatever it was, and I thought it was a girl from school that I knew named Megan. I accepted the friend request. I got a message, and it was not Megan. Uh, it was it was somebody. Well, her name might have been Megan, but it was not the Megan I knew. Uh, my first exposure to pornographic intercourse, I was in Madrid uh, in a hotel room, and uh, I was trying to get um, some sports scores from back in the United States, and I turn on the TV, and it's soccer, and it's soccer, and it's soccer, and then it's porn, and then it's porn, and then it's porn, and I turn the TV off and throw the remote, uh, because it was hardcore pornography just on my TV in this hotel room. And the first thing I did is uh, I went next door to my buddy, and I said, hey, I saw this on the TV, you know. Um, and even with my sheltered life, I was exposed to that totally unintentionally. Uh, and to this day, if I were to stop and think, I can still remember those images. Totally innocent. And that's how innocently this sin can start. Uh, raise your hand if you have kids. Raise your hand if you have kids. Okay. Raise your hands if you have kids that have a device with internet capability. They have access to pornography without you knowing it. If you choose to ignore that possibility. And so, what's, what's the best way to combat any sin that we have in our lives? The best way is to not start. Um, and so, when we think about our children, and I think about my girls uh, and their ages, Maddie is, I mean, she's on the cusp of all of this. Uh, we've had some conversations about this. You know, that's, that's sad, isn't it, as a dad having to explain pornography to your 11-year-old? Uh, but that's the society we live in, aggressive exposure. And so we have to be aware of that. And we have to respond accordingly to that as parents, but also as men. What am I going to do to make a covenant with my eyes? What am I going to do to make sure I set nothing wicked before my eyes? And this is not some where I'm blaming somebody else. Any sin that I commit is my fault. I, I made a choice there. But I also need to make a choice um, to do everything in my power not to be exposed the temptation for that sin. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 14. I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. Uh, verse 16. I have spread my bed with tapestry, covered, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. What is she communicating here to this young man? I mean, come on, y'all are men. What's she communicating? I want to have sex with you. And how hard is he going to have to work for it? 
It is. Everything's ready. It's all here. You just got to come. Isn't that what pornography offers? This kind of escape from reality. Um, this kind of free sexuality where you don't have to contribute anything except your own pleasure. I have everything fixed up just for you. It's interesting, she says, uh, I've made peace off- I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. Studying Leviticus helps with this one. We won't read it, but Leviticus 7, 11 through 15, the peace offering was the only offering where the person offering the sacrifice got part, a portion of the offering. In other words, she's saying, I have a romantic dinner and a romantic night of lovemaking prepared for you. There is no effort. There's no work. It's all passive in nature. Did you catch who kissed whom here? She kissed him. She grabbed him and kissed him, right? He just has to sit back and enjoy himself. Um, And many don't have a marriage relationship to fulfill these desires or have become disenchanted with the relationship that they have. And so the thought is, well, let me fulfill that in a different way. Um, And there are a few things that I really want us to to see and understand from the session tonight. But one thing that I want you to see and understand is that porn is not real. This is not reality that we're talking about here. And there are all sorts of ways that we could talk about that. We could talk about... um, Let's see how uncomfortable we want to get. We could talk about... This is a men's class, right? Um, We could talk about sexual fulfillment of women and how that's portrayed in pornography. We could talk about the way women look. Uh, and what enhancements have been done with the magic of movies or surgery in order to make them look in a certain way, and how we as men can rewire our brains to, to crave this fantasy instead of the reality that, that many of us have at home, in our own beds, with the people who are supposed to be closest to us. Um, There is an epidemic right now. There's some crazy statistics out there. Uh, There's an epidemic right now among men in their 30s and 40s of erectile dysfunction. And many people have tied that to extended pornography use because they are more excited about the fantasy than they are about reality. Uh, Let me give you a quick example of this. Um, You see this lady right here? Uh, There's a whole video on this. Uh, she's, she's a lady, sure. Uh, that's the way I. That's the way I need to look at her, Ted. That's exactly the way I need to look at her is as a lady. Um, and she's attractive, as far as I'm concerned. And it's interesting that um, no makeup, um, those sorts of things, uh, with uh, just a little digital alteration, that picture became this picture. Now maybe that's so fake it doesn't appeal to you. Um, But that's pretty crazy, isn't it? That this is reality and this is the fantasy. And for many, that fantasy is what they desire. As Christians, we're supposed to be grounded in reality, of course. Um, But we're also supposed to be grounded in reality of things like True and genuine love, companionship, intimacy, 
All of those beautiful things that a marriage relationship is supposed to offer. And escaping to something like this only damages that in the short and long term. All right, keep reading. Uh, Let's go back to verse 15. We skipped over verse 15. So I came out, she says, to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you, she says. Um, Remember that this is someone with the attire of a harlot. And so she was saving herself for this one man, right? You know, I've been waiting for you all along. You're the one that I've always wanted. Uh, and I found you. I found my, uh, uh, the one that I love. In the, ca- in the case of this text, uh, what, what this really appeals to is both pride and insecurity. You're the only one in the world. It's just you and me. I don't want anyone else but you. Really? Is that true? No, of course not. Uh, she was loud and rebellious, verse 11. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. That woman um, that we're viewing in all likelihood has been used by men before and will be used again. You are not special to pornography. You are not more of a man because you view it. And yet it is both pride, I'm a man, and insecurity that leads us down this path. Someone who does not have a proper self-worth, one way or the other, is more susceptible to pornography. And that gives us some clue on how, uh, uh, some hint on what the solution to this might be, right? We keep reading verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Again, it's an easy, false intimacy. What a wonderful phrase for a husband to hear from his wife. For a wife to say to her husband, let's take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And yet here it's found in the mouth of the adulteress. She speaks of the love that they will enjoy. And the Hebrew word... Translated love here is used many, many times in the Song of Solomon. In fact, it is the same word that is used as the pet name between the two lovers, my beloved. But is this love? It's a rhetorical question, but I want you to answer. Is this love? No. What is it? Not love. Not sex. It's It's a fulfillment of pleasure. It is supposed to be real love they're sharing, but it's nothing of the sort. Pornography is no different. It is not real. It is a fabricated fantasy intended to deceive us into thinking that love is something different than it really is. Of course, verse 19 and 20 applies to pornography. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. There is secrecy involved here. There's a psychologist named Al Cooper who noted that this, uh, that this is the case with pornography. He coined the phrase, the triple A engine of pornography. It's specifically internet pornography. According to this uh, psychologist, people are drawn to online pornography because it is three things. Um, and you can see that on the handout. It is affordable, 
It is relatively cheap or even free online. In fact, 9 out of 10 internet porn users only access free material. Um, and there are OnlyFan accounts and all those sorts of things that you can pay for, but most people just access free material because there's so much of it. It's affordable and accessible. Bringing pornography into uh, our own homes at high speeds, and it's anonymous. We think that no one has to know what we see. It's secretive. And that secrecy is one of the things that we have to break if we're going to break this, um, this sin and temptation. And then finally, let's read 22, uh, 21 through 23. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. The ESV says in verse 5 that she is a, a forbidden woman. And yet he thinks that there are no consequences that are going to come about because of this. And I think pornography is one of those things where we think it's a victimless sin. Uh, nobody else is going to know. It's not going to impact anybody else. Uh, this is better than me going out and committing sexual sin of another kind. We justify it to ourselves. And yet he does not know that this is the road to hell and death, slowly descending to a depth from which it is difficult to return. Verse 27, Her house is the way to hell, to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Because pornography impacts us. Um, there's a lot that we could say about pornography and how it impacts the people who are involved in it, how it impacts other people, but let's just think about how it impacts those who actually view it um, and find sexual fulfillment in it. Uh, if you look on the back side of your handout, actually this is on the front side, five facts for how pornography impacts the mind. Watching porn decreases our sexual satisfaction. It trains us to desire the variety, brutality, and fantasy of porn more than the familiar intimacy of sexuality and marriage. Uh, there have been uh, multiple studies, like six or seven different studies, you know who has the most fulfilling sex? Take a guess. Happily married couples. Happily married couples. And it, here's the crazy thing. The older those couples get, the more fulfilling their sexual experience is. And yet we are told that sex is supposed to look very different. That committing yourself to one person for life and that that is your soul sexual outlet is somehow backwards and stupid. And yet even these secular studies with no religious overtones or undertones confirm that God's plan works best. And yet if we train ourselves that this is how I'm going to be fulfilled, then pornography is going to decrease our sexual satisfaction in all areas of our life. Number two, watching porn disconnects us from real relationships. It trains us to detach emotional involvement from sexual experience. That those are two different things. And yet God, as He designed it, this is supposed to be an expression of our intimacy. That the two become one flesh. That we are close emotionally. We're close spiritually. 
And as an extension, we become close physically as well. Number three, watching porn lowers our view of women. It trains us to see women as sexual commodities, not people who are created in God's image. Number four, watching porn desensitizes us to cruelty. It numbs us to the seriousness and harmfulness of verbal and physical aggression that is so often in, uh, included in hardcore pornography. Number five, watching porn makes us want to watch more porn. It, traps, it taps into the biology of our brains, making us desire the rush of sexual energy from porn again and again and again. Um, and I'll say this on top of these five, sin always leads to more sin. There have been three long-term studies that show the more porn a man, and this is with men specifically, the more porn a man consumes, the more open he is to things like same-sex marriage. Because it leads to more sin. Okay. Solomon knew all about this, right? All right, Josh. Oh, yeah. Well, that's part of that fantasy, right? It creates uh, unreal and unfair expectations for your spouse. I want you to look like this. Well, she doesn't even look like this, right? And that's the actual person. Um, I think that's absolutely the case. Okay. Solomon talked all about this. Um, He explains to us what the dangers are. And so... What are the solutions? How do we overcome this temptation? Well, a good way to go about it is you see these eight things, just go through and address all eight of those things. That would be a good way of addressing this, right? How do we go through um, and how do we become aware and have godly wisdom? How do we overcome lust specifically? Uh, How do we protect ourselves to the exposure? How do we go toward reality instead of fantasy? What is it that we have in our lives that is leading us to be prideful or insecure that's leading us down this road? Um, All of those sorts of things. We could go through all of this list, but instead I want to take maybe a more foundational approach. Um, What are the elements of temptation? Move my thing over here. James chapter 1 and verse 14, if you've heard me preach for any number of years, uh, I always say that there's a math equation for temptation, not for sin, but for temptation. What two elements must be present for me to be tempted? Desire. There has to be some part of me and my flesh that wants this thing, right? I desire it, but there also has to be opportunity. There has to be the enticement that comes before me. And with any sin, but we're thinking about pornography tonight, uh, these are the two areas where we have to address the sin, or where we can address the sin in order to overcome it. Desire, where's my heart? Opportunity, where's my body? Where am I? to where these things are taking place. Um, and so I, I, um, I think about it in this way. Opportunity is the tourniquet, right? We're trying to reduce the number of opportunities I have for pornography use, 
That's, I'm trying to stop the bleeding, man. I'm trying to quit actually committing the sin, right? And so opportunity is really probably a great place to start because I'm trying to stop the bleeding. The sooner I can stop the sin, the easier it is to stop it for good. And then desire is like heart surgery. Like this is something that is more planned out. This is something that's going to take a little bit more time. And yet it's something that, I, that needs to be fixed if I'm going to live the life that I ought to live. I like calling it heart surgery because it's our heart, our mind, that we're really trying to address when we think about desire. And so we have to have some uh, self-examination. Uh, I have on your handout, I believe, I have on your handout what I call trailheads and triggers. Um, trailheads are those on that lead to porn, right? If I start going down this path, uh, I know that ultimately that could lead to porn usage because it's happened in times past. So what would be some example of some trailheads? Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples just to help us out. If I'm tired, if I'm stressed, that's going to leave me more open to this opportunity, right? Think of any others? I'm bored, absolutely. Um, scrolling on my phone for two hours is, is, if I'm struggling with pornography, that is not a good recipe for success, right? Okay, what else? Isolation. I'm isolated. What else? Dejected. Dejected? Rejected. Rejected. Uh, or dejected, either one. Rejected. If there's something in a uh, real relationship that, that, uh, where I feel rejected, well, I can go to something where I'm never going to be rejected, right? What else? See what I'm getting at here? And I think we can identify a lot of those things. So if I'm going to work on the opportunity side... I need to know that this is something that can lead me down the path. And here's the thing with all sin. All sin is irrational. You've heard me say that before. And when it comes to any sin, I want to keep my mind in the realm of rational thought. There comes a point with this and every sin where you're so far down the path, you're not thinking clearly. And so you give in to the sin. And yet we say, well, God promised a way of escape. Yeah, He promised it back here when you were tired and stressed and bored and you thought, you know what? I probably shouldn't get on my phone. And yet we did anyway. And so we see that these sort of things lead us down this path. We need to be careful with those sorts of things. Um, what about triggers? These uh, would be more things that are unexpected, I guess. Um, Specific things that I might see or hear or feel that might lead me down the road toward pornography? Um, I'll give you an example. Idle thoughts. Maybe that's related to boredom, but um, if I'm allowing my mind to wander and it wanders toward um, past experiences, it wanders toward... Uh, past experiences with pornography, perhaps, uh, then that triggers me, thinking about those things can trigger me toward new pornography, going down this temptation. What else might trigger?
trigger us in that way. A friend being with the wrong influence. Yeah. Uh, that's very broad. That could go in a lot of different ways, right? Male or female. Okay. Anything else? You mentioned earlier just an unexpected uh, channel on a TV in a hotel room. Yeah. And that it could be totally innocent, right? Um, who here has seen nudity on a movie that you didn't expect to see? Am I the only one? Okay, good. Well, maybe there's some planning that needs to take place ahead of time to check and see uh, if that's going to be in that movie or in that show, right? And if if you recoil at that, well, maybe there's a heart issue there, right? Um, do I do I want to make provision for the flesh where I accidentally see things? Um, well, then I need to work on my heart in regard to that. Uh, there are some great questions that we should ask when it comes to if pornography is something that you're struggling with right now. Where does it happen? Um, specifically, if we're thinking about pornography that leads to masturbation and sexual fulfillment in that way, where is that happening? Well, that place is a danger zone. And I need to be careful when I'm in that place not to allow myself to go down that road. When does it happen? Morning? Night? What time does it happen? After work? Before work? Why does it happen? Am I able to identify things in my life that are going on that lead me down this path? And then maybe a, another question is, when does it not? When am I not tempted? Uh, well, how can I recreate that sort of environment as often as I possibly can? Uh, we think about those uh, three A's that we talked about earlier. Affordable, cheap, and free. Well, we need to ask ourselves the questions, well, what does it really cost me? Accessible, um, how can I deny myself access? And a lot of times what that looks like is I've put routines, routines in my life uh, where, where that's not going to take place. I was talking with a uh, somebody not too long ago um, who's struggling with this particular temptation, um, and he identified, all right, my bedroom uh, at night on my phone. I don't have a problem with the computer, not the bathroom, it's in my bedroom at night on my phone. Um, and you know what uh, he started doing? Um, well, he restricted some access on his phone. Uh, he's plugging his phone in uh, outside of his bedroom got an alarm clock to wake him up, and here's a big thing, he's going to bed at a certain time, right? You say, well, I'm an adult. I don't need a bedtime. Well, if a bedtime is what's going to keep me from sin, then by all means, I need to establish that. And those sort of routines are helpful to him because he established this is when it's taking place. If I establish these routines, it's going to help me um, not to go through those things. Um, and then it's anonymous, right? No one has to know. It's secretive. How can I hold myself accountable and how can I be held accountable by others? Uh, maybe you can overcome this on your own. But if this has been an ongoing issue and you've not overcome it, 
you're going to have to have some help. And so here's what I'm asking the men who are here tonight to do. Um, if you're willing, uh, I want two different groups to text me. If you are someone who needs accountability because you are involved in this sin and it's ongoing, and you don't have someone who is holding you accountable, um, then I want you to text me. And I'm, I'm already uh, someone who's holding others accountable. Um, there, there are three different people in my life that I'm, I'm helping to hold accountable. I'm, I'm not in a position to take on more people um, because of what it requires. And I struggle with guilt. I struggle with guilt when I don't do as good a job of that as I ought to. Um, even though it's not my sin. I still struggle with guilt over that. So, I'm telling you that up front. But what I do want to do is connect you with somebody else who can hold you accountable. So, if you're a man here tonight and you are not struggling with pornography, whether you have in times past or not, but you say, I am willing to hold someone else accountable. Now, maybe you can do both. Maybe you can struggle with it and hold someone else accountable. Um, that's you know, the idea behind a number of organizations that do that. Um, but I think it's safer to find somebody who's not currently struggling with it to hold you accountable. So if you're willing to do that, um, I want you to text me and tell me that. Okay? Two groups of people. And what I'm going to try and do is just match you up with one another. And we're going to have some opportunities for us to talk in greater detail about what that looks like outside of this class. This is a, this is a wide net. This is shotgun. Uh, what I want to do next is take a rifle and see if we can't pick off um, this temptation in a more practical, specific sort of way. Uh, along with that accountability, and we can talk about this more with those who choose to text, um, is uh, internet filtering and accountability along with that. Covenant Eyes is something that, uh, that I use and have used um, not necessarily for accessibility, there's ways around it, but for accountability. So I know that if I do this, then somebody else uh, is going to know about it. Um, but it's not just, of course, the opportunity, the tourniquet. We have to change our heart as well. And that means asking questions like, how do I see God? How do I see my relationship with God? How do I see myself? Um, where is my self-worth found? Do I view myself as, as this you know, sexual creature with these appetites that cannot be contained? Or do I view myself as a creature made in the image of God given the power of choice and self-control by Him? And then how do I see others? Um, there's a statistic. Men who have teenage daughters are 50% less likely to look at porn than men who do not. Why do you think that is? What? They have a daughter. They have a daughter. And they have a daughter very close in age and probably looks to some of the women that they're looking at. Absolutely. So what do they do with these images on the screen of these women? Instead of dehumanizing them, what do they do? They humanize them. 
That could be my daughter. Would I want other people looking at my daughter? Well, she is someone's daughter. Maybe she didn't have a good father. It's likely that she didn't. But God loves her. She has a soul. And she's not irredeemable. And I'm not going to contribute to that. Um, that goes to lust, too, that we studied last month. That idea of when I look at a woman, I'm not looking at her to lust after her. I'm looking to her to try and convert her, to bring her to Christ. Grow closer to her in that way. And then maybe the most important question, what do I really desire most? Uh, those are just questions. The answers to those questions is what helps us with the heart surgery. And this is opportunity is something that maybe we put long-term measures in place, but this is really more of a, a short-term measure, right? Stop the bleeding. The desire is what we're going to try and change long-term. Where this is just not as much of a temptation to me because my heart is more directed to where God would have me to be. Um, I need to fill my mind, fill my life with spiritual things. So this is where the idea of Bible study and prayer and establishing routines of being with the brethren and coming to worship, all of those sorts of things are going to help me with my desire. Um, but we've got to stop the bleeding first. We can work on these at the same time. Don't misunderstand me. But we need to stop the sin and then work on the heart. Okay. Bonnie? Uh, backing up before this and before us, this urge and desire, there is nothing wrong with it. God gave it to us. Amen. God gave us this. Amen. And I have asked the question of myself, and it might have been among us, why did the Lord do this to us? He didn't do it to other animals, I don't think. It's just to the human man. And uh, so we have to learn early, and that's why it's talking about these young people, we have to learn early how to channel it. When to channel it. When we think about the why, uh, that desire that we have, that we should have for our spouse, if we choose to get married, you don't have to choose to get married to be a Christian, uh, obviously, um, but that desire that we should have for our spouse should tell us something about the desire that we should have for God. Other thoughts or questions now? Yes, sir. Two things. Forty years ago, Nike's big thing was just do it. Well, our last Monday night Christ, my men's thing was just don't do it. Just say no. Be a man and stand up. You know, and the more you say no, I think the easier it gets. He didn't say it'd be easy. But the more you say no, it will get easier. And, and not at first, because we have a limited pool of willpower, right? We're going to have to put other things in place, but, but making that commitment that I'm going to say no. You know, the last time, if you're struggling with this right now, the last time that you looked at pornography, whenever that was, maybe it was 10 minutes before this Bible class, the last time you looked at pornography, that could be the last time that you ever look at it again. It could be. Now, that's maybe too big to get around, but it could be the last time you look at it today got to start somewhere. And then if you do that, you know, you get up tomorrow and say, I'm not going to look at it today either. All right, your second thing. Yeah, be, uh, young men, when you leave home and set up your house and the cable companies come and, you know, put all you want on your cable, we'll offer you free Showtime. There's not much good stuff on Showtime and HBO. 
They want you to give them free for three months so they can hook you. Just tell them no. You already have sewer in the bathroom. You do not need to. Do Um, you know, what that might look like to some young men is, um, y'all have heard me say from the pulpit, i got to put Twitter in timeout, you know, because it's just a temptation to me. That might be de- deleting your social media off of your phone. And it doesn't mean you can't access it on your computer, you know, if you still want to stay connected to people. And, you know, it's not as big of a temptation on this laptop as it is in this device I hold in my hand. Um, but if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it off, pluck it out. I mean... Giving up social media is not that high of a price to pay. Um, if you can get out of sin that's going to damage you physically and spiritually. Okay? Trailhead. You know, we were talking about, you know, maybe emotions or your stress, your tired, your bored, or whatever. You know, to me, a trailhead is that, is, you know, I was looking at, at videos on Facebook. You know, I like to laugh. Me and Claire would sit around and laugh at cats. You like to laugh. We like to laugh at stupid stuff. And cats do that. Well, that's that crazy stupid stuff, you know. And so, but I was watching a video the other day and it said, what would you do? What would you change when you were when you were young that would make you more successful in life, you know? And it was some like humor involved in it. One guy had some really good financial advice, right? It's very, very good, very simple like less than eight seconds, I think, you know. But then the next guy had a real real short quip of, you know, hit some singles and some bunts before you try to get a home run <laughs> with with a wife. But you see how that, they threw in a little bit of quip, a little bit of humor of, you know, trying things out before you try to get a home run. And I, and I think that those... Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you know, they're all, you just scroll, you become a society of scrolling, and you can waste two hours scrolling in, in no time, and, well, there's no bottom to that feed, there's no bottom, yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of times, you know, keeping the, like, the, the, the guy who's going to keep it out of your hand in the bedroom, or the bathroom, or wherever those temptations are, just, you know, leave that away, you know, and, and I think that's a big trailhead, if you will. Yeah, that, that whole deal is a killer. I'm telling you, it will take people, I, I see people that spend time looking at that phone. I know they do, but they're doing things like the I'm, I'm on Facebook, okay? But I bet you I haven't looked at Facebook in two weeks. And all those others you've been naming off, I have not owned any of them or whatever, so I don't have you know, if you stay away from all that stuff to start with, you don't have that problem. But to your point, you got eleven year olds. Those things are here to stay. Oh, yeah. They have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that you can block the trailhead to, to, to some degree. Yeah. And to fathers, like you cannot be, you can't be uncomfortable talking to your kids about this got to be able to talk to them. And they have to be comfortable coming and talking to you. Um, and we're working really hard to keep those avenues of conversation open. Okay? What else? Yes, sir? Well, our children and granddaughters, this thing is peer pressure when they 
we have to realize that really bodies and emotions and everything turn and change also. The difference between the uh, how the one appeals to the other, both the male and the female is different. The male looks and does females if that has to be touched. And then also on our TV programs like we talk about, those ratings, that's a joke. And uh, the kids that you see, they say, well, it's all I see is ratings, G or P or X, whatever. Yeah, you got to do a little research to see what the content actually is. And we didn't, pornography use among women has skyrocketed, skyrocketed in the last 25 years. I mean, and but they are looking at different things for different reasons, and this isn't a women's class, it's a men's class. Uh, but your spouse, uh, your girlfriend, your friend, your sister, your daughter could be struggling with this very same thing, just in a different way. And so we need to be aware of that and uh, do what we can to help. Okay. What else? I know we're out of time, just about. Um, but um, yes, Scott. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think we can decide. Getting rid of the junk and replacing it with good stuff. Amen. Yeah. I mean, the obvious things are prayer and Bible study, right? But I'm reminded of when I was a kid, Frank Shipley, who I would probably put against anybody as being active and energetic and full of stuff, good stuff. Yeah. He always, you know, at the beginning of every summer, I remember him always asking me, what are you going to do this summer? What are you going to do to stay busy? What are you going to do to keep out of trouble? You know, he recognized that's how you avoid so many of these thoughts. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? And so if we if we get rid of the junk, replace it with value, valuable things. Whatever that is. Um, anybody in here ever fasted before? Any, any fasting? Okay, we've had some fasting. Um, the idea of fasting is you you removing something physical. It's not even necessarily a bad thing, but you're removing it and replacing it with something spiritual. If we see these trailheads and triggers and say, I'm not going to go down those paths, and we don't replace it with anything good, uh, then seven demons worse than the first are going to come in like in Jesus' parable, right? Uh, we got to replace those things with something good, and that's going to help us with our heart as well. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I was just thinking, um, one of the big things that, especially in regards to social media and some of the temptations that come with that, you kind of have to, if you're struggling with letting go of that, um, it's a, a really, really important step in that is kind of, you have to quantify for yourself what is a need and what is a want. Do I need the social media or do I want the social media? Kind of once you kind of have that outlined, letting go of social media is a lot easier than a lot of people it is. Um, I stopped using it um, in the last year and a half. That was the big thing. Was I told myself for so long, I need my Facebook because I need to keep up with my friends from camp. I need to keep up with my friends from... But there's so many other ways that you can do that. And so like, once I realized that, oh, no, I'm lying to myself. I don't need social media. I want social media. And then that was a little bit, that made it a lot easier to let go of it and to like, kind of move past this trailhead temptation. The same thing applies streaming service or whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, I can take one more comment and then uh, Travis can kind of end us up. Okay, Travis.
you know, you hear about this topic. Wow, this is going to be a tough one. But uh, what a great job Brandon did in bringing that to us. Something that you know I've dealt with many times in my career uh, in law enforcement, and I've seen the turmoil that it causes in people's lives. And you know, I was sitting here thinking, and I was thinking, what was God's intent in the beginning? And it, He created a man and a woman, and just as Monty said, that man's desire for that woman is a, is a natural thing, and God said it was good, and it was good, but then. You know, uh, sin came into this world, and now we deal with it. And you see how it progressed, and you know, I thought about David. Uh, he wasn't looking at a, a, a computer screen or a phone screen, but the principle was the same. He saw, you know, a woman bathing on, on the rooftop. You know, did she have some culpability in that? Maybe she should have bathed in an area where she was not going to be seen. But he was up there and he looked and he gazed upon her and that gaze became a stare and ultimately, ultimately led to, uh, you know, a murder and ultimately led to the death, you know, of a child. And that's a horrible thing. But as, you know, I've dealt with it in my career, uh, I've, I've studied, uh, you know, serial killers at times. Ted Bundy was uh, one of the most prolific serial killers in our country. And he was a good-looking guy. He could have probably had any woman that he wanted and had a legitimate relationship with him. But, you know, right before he was put to death, uh, somebody went and did an interview with him, and they asked him, what started you on this path? You know what his answer was? He said, pornography. And that led him down that dark path where he tracked and, and stalked and killed young women. So, you know, I've interviewed people uh, as I've, you know, arrested them and talked to them about this, this topic. And, you know, commonly they'll tell you, who is it hurting but me? You know, it's just me. I'm just sitting in there looking at the computer screen. I'm not hurting anybody. But it's kind of a gateway behavior, as far as I can tell. It can lead you down paths where you may not ever recover from it. It may be a path to where you've caused somebody to uh, lose a life, whether you've taken that life or they try to take your life. If you, you know, try to harm a woman or, or get into an adulterous relationship, I've never seen anything good come from it. And, uh, you know, it causes a lot of pain and turmoil because it's centered around sin. And, and, and lust is is the, the culprit. You know, people are, are are lusting after something that somebody else has. And, uh, you know, I've dealt a lot with younger people uh, with this crime. So, you know, these phones that we have, they're the equivalent of a supercomputer of what, of what we used to have. And you carry that around in your pocket all day, and it's capable of sending a picture just like that. And, 100% of the crimes that I deal with deal with a cell phone. And we download these cell phones. and We capture evidence on these cell phones. And 100% of the time, there's pornography on these cell phones of the people that are committing these crimes.
But what you've got to understand as a young person is when, when you send that picture, that is pornography. And you never get that picture back. You can see our celebrities, you know, they've engaged in this type of behavior. And they have pictures out there, and they can't get them back. And no matter how much money they have, they cannot get every one of those pictures back. So when you send one of those pictures out, young people, you're never going to get that back. It's out there. It's like a bullet that's been fired. You're not going to get it back. And if it's a picture of an underage person, that is child pornography. And if you send it, you're distributing child pornography. So just keep that in mind. Yes, sir. That's a picture of an underage person. Does that mean any? If I send a picture of my grandchildren, great grandchildren, that are naked? That are, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not just talking about sending a picture of your grandchild. I'm talking about what some of these young people engage in. They send news of one another. So that's where the crime comes into play. No, you can send all your grandkids pictures you want, Ted. But, no, it is, is the nudes that gets you in trouble. So just, just remember that. But just, you know, understand we're not immune. Uh, these things can creep in on us. And I think Ty hit on it and Reagan hit on it. Idleness is the thing that gets you. Fill your life with things of, that are good. Fill your life with, hey, if you're starting to feel like you're going to have that urge, go find some little old lady's yard to mow. Go get your mind off of it. Go put your hand to, to the plow and do something good. Don't sit there and let this build up on you, and, and it's going to cause you to do bad things. Just stay busy. Uh, Frank Shipley, uh, he, was, he was right on the money with that. You shouldn't just sit around and and let your, your mind wander. Stay focused. Reading the Bible is the best thing you can do. Because if you start reading the Bible and you fill your, your mind with those kind of things, you won't have time to think about that other stuff. Because it's garbage in and garbage out. Remember that. Whatever you're putting in there, if it's good, it's going to be good things that come out. But if it's bad, the bad things are going to come out. So just focus on the, on the good things in life and and don't get caught up in the, in the sin. What God created was good. The things that we do, did to it are bad. That's what I've got. Thank you, Travis. Um, all right, I'm going to put my number up here. Uh, so text me if you're on either side of that. You need somebody to hold you accountable or you're willing to hold somebody else accountable. Uh, and... Um, Jesse, I think, is down to teach next month. Is that correct? Uh, but we need those to sign up for the months after that. If if somebody else signed up, I don't have record of it. Uh, that was lost some some way. So uh, if if you would like to teach, I'm going to put the sign-up sheet out there on the table. Um, again, sorry for going over time. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, and that's why I didn't mind if you were late. So uh, let's uh, let's pray together. Dear God, you know all things. You created us. And we pray that you would help us and that you would help us to help one another. 
Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.